Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Camp Agape is an opportunity to invest in children who have a deep need. Fathers, mothers, really close family, gone, removed because of incarceration. And the scripture talks about how true religion is serving the orphan and the widow. A lot of them don't have any family. They have been tossed around. I feel like as the fall of Christ is a mandate to love on these people. This is a marginalized group of kids that need a lot, and I can be part of that. I wasn't sure if they wanted someone my age. I was thinking they were going more for college age. And I called up a friend and said, are they looking for moms, grandmothers, slash ages? And I said, heck yeah. Because that's a lot what the kids are used to, is grandmas. I love it that there's an opportunity to serve right where I'm at. We put so much hype on going somewhere else. And I think we just forget that like you can have an impact here in your own backyard. I feel very, very satisfied when I go home that I have hopefully changed the trajectory of some of these kids' lives. We don't change their circumstances. They may continue to be in the hardship. They may continue to have a pain of a losing a loved one. And we're not changing that reality, but what we're helping is to show that people care for them. God is just using it to mold my own heart and to have a spiritual experience where I'm growing. I feel many times like I'm the one who's more blessed by getting to be a part of something so awesome as Camp Agape. The need is great. There's so many kids out there that need this. We don't usually have enough room in the camp. I'm recruiting people to come, and especially men. They really need the men. Those little boys need strong men, examples in their life. By just being willing to be there and listen and love, it is humbling to see what God does. God gives you so many layers and layers and layers of blessings when you do Camp Agape. You have to be there. You really have to be there to experience it. It's, that's why I keep going back. Well, aren't you so thankful to be at church this morning? I've invited uh, Faith and Andy here um, to represent what's going on with Camp Agape. Uh, These are leaders you will run into if you're a part of that at all. But before we jump into that, we got to worship this morning. Uh, We had a guest worship leader. You thankful for the songs that are going on? (laughs) Worship, baptism, and we get to hear about what God is doing in the lives of people. Remember, this entire month, we're asking you to join us in some things that we believe as a church God has asked us to invest in, not just financially, not just from a distance, but to actually individually think about signing up and participating with different ministries that are making an impact uh, in our city, around our area, to people that you will run into every day. And these two are part of a ministry that has been significant for us at Salem Heights for a while here, Camp Agape. So we have Faith and Andy. We actually wrote down some questions because we're trying to, uh, 
um, do this in a, a, a controlled environment, but it is so exciting. <laughs> Control, they're controlling me, not you. I want you to hear that because we might get preachy. But the first uh, of the questions we had on here was, what is Agape Families all about? Um, hey. Yeah. Um, well, Agape Families, so we uh, exist to provide hope and stability to kids impacted by incarceration. So um, as you saw in the video, we offer summer camps. That's our really big program where kids get excited, and we get to meet this summer 400 kids will come out and join us. Um, and then after camp, we invite them into our mentorship program and just to, to do life with us. And our hope is to get them connected to churches um, and mentors and people who can disciple them and walk with them. Um, and really, the, the heart of Agape is that there's connection that we are joining their lives and that we are connecting with them to introduce them to who their Savior is. So that is really what we're about. Yeah, and it's, um, I would say, John 10.10 has just came to my heart this morning that, um, you know, and some of you know that verse that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came. They might have life and have it more abundantly. So we're intersecting within the enemy's turf. We're going right in. Yeah. Okay, because it's, it's a, it can be very chaotic. Sometimes there's a godly grandma. Sometimes there's godly foster parents. People step in or, or mom. But often it's just like things have blown up. So we see this as an opportunity. We're about coming against the enemy and saying, you can't have this one. Jesus has mm. this one, right? Yeah. It's awesome. So um, we're excited to partner with your church. Yeah, and I just want to let that soak for a minute because I don't think that's a small thing. Um, you said sometimes there's a godly grandma, sometimes there's a godly friend or family or a foster family. But for many kids, uh, this will be the opportunity for them to be able to see what it looks like for a believer to actually follow Christ and love somebody else, but actually what it means to follow Jesus or to hear about Jesus for the first time. This will be the first time. Yes. Yeah. What are you hoping is... Um, going to happen at the camp? And also, what is a consistent storyline that you hear coming out of the camp? Okay, I'll start first. You have to control me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what we do here, okay, on more than one occasion, and it's striking, um, with, from a counselor, when there's really a lot of trauma, really struggling kids, and the counselor comes after camp, what happened? Okay, he's different. She's different. And there's a just a shift, like an introduction again. We, and it's a long process. It's not like, right, yeah. we all know this. Yeah. We all know this, love the testimonies of the baptisms. But we're, we're in it for the long haul, but we see a dramatic impact. Like, as one gal said after camp, Camp Agape is where I found out there are people out there that care about me. Yeah. Both parents went to prison, and they were in an unloving situation. Things were going down, and bam, you know, it was a real real abrupt shift so yeah that's powerful um yeah and as andy as andy said a lot of you guys have been out there and a part of it and and you've seen kids come in and oftentimes they're a little anxious or nervous or unsure of what is going on here but by the end of camp they are asking you how they can come back they're asking you how they can come back as leaders they want to be a part as they're thirsty for this community and this mm -hmm. place and so the consistency is just that they are longing for this community and again that's that's why we're here as, as andy mentioned there's there's a lot of mess there's a lot of trauma in their lives and that trauma affects um, all aspects of their life, their behavior, their beliefs, their, their biology, all these things. And so we're, we're going to grab their hand and we're going to say, it's you and me up against your trauma and we're going to take this on. And together, 
uh, we, we can move towards Christ. Yeah, that's a powerful picture. I, I think one of the things we'd ask you is what are you hoping for in the life of a camper, but also what are you hoping for in the life of somebody who comes to volunteer? So I, I think we heard just a little bit of that, but if you're going to sum up, this is what we're really hoping to see in that, that camper that comes, but also in the volunteer that comes. What would you want to see happen in their life? Um, I mean, so many things, but obviously the first one is that they would meet their Savior. Um, and, and we understand, yeah. I think you guys can understand, that there's, there's, that's a long-term thing, as we've mentioned. And so we're planting seeds in a lot of cases, but we also— oh my goodness, we have the opportunity to really get to see them accept Christ. Just mm-hmm. as we watched all these baptisms this morning, it just tugs in my heart because we get to be a part of that, of introducing Christ to these kids. So that is really our end goal, our hope, um, but also that, that we're building relationships, we're building connections, and that they learn what healthy relationships look like. Yeah. Um, oftentimes we're coming in, we're modeling for them what it's like to like not leave their side and to ask them questions and to really um, care about them. And that is something that hasn't been modeled. And so they get uh, to see that. We hope that over the long run, they understand um, their savior and then the relationship that they get to have with their savior. It's, it's the same thing. So, yeah. Hey, we want them in God's house with God's people with you, yeah. okay? We, and we got a couple guys sitting here this morning, major and junior, put them on blast, but they're in God's house with God's people, and they've been participating in Camp Agape, and they're awesome. If you get a chance, say hi to them. But that's ultimately this transition, because the, incar- the culture of incarceration, not so much church, okay? And I've had the folks tell me, hey, I, I've been to church. I got the look. I got, and I know your church isn't this way, but I got the stairs. You know, that I don't fit, and so there's a barrier, and that we want to break that down. We're a parachurch ministry. We want to lose everybody to the church. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want yeah, to keep them. Yeah. Just get them in to youth groups. Get them in, you know, and the and the um, and the parents. You know, that's that's our hope, and that we can help facilitate and keep. So we're yeah. so thankful for your church. And that, yeah. uh, let me just uh, add, just for a moment right now, I'm not going to ask you to look to your right or to your left, okay? But he just said something that I think is super important. We're at church, right? So everybody that is here needs a Savior. Amen? Amen. You need a Savior. You've needed him. You need him. You continue to need him. You yield to that Savior. There is no identified patient. Nobody here should get the look. Okay? (laughs) You are all loved by Christ. And if you're really part of the family, you ought to be loved by these people in here. Amen? That's what we've got to be about. So if you're here... We welcome you. But this team helps set that up because they really do go into some unlovely situations. Uh, you have a benefit that's coming up. You have, uh, it's on May 18th. Can you tell us a little bit about what we could do to participate? Absolutely. Uh, we're doing a virtual benefit this year um, just to help us get ready for camp. Camp. Our first camp is in three weeks. Um, and so we've got, we've got a video that we're sharing with you. So we hope that you get the opportunity to see that. And if you're willing to share that with others, we're hoping it's kind of like a you know, spreads the word, spider web type of effect. Um, you're, I think you're certainly going to be impacted by uh, just the testimonies of, of our local Salem families uh, who really have been impacted by this ministry, but more importantly, just by God in their lives. So, yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. Can I pray for you guys? And we'll jump to the next moment, but uh, we're going to continue this morning on that same vein. Father, we, uh, we just come before you. I thank you for Faith and Andy. I thank you for their commitment to this work. Um, 
Father, there are long days, hard hours, and heartbreak behind every moment like this where we get to see celebration. I pray you'd lift them up. You would surround them with people who are praying over them, that are investing in them, and that continue to push what's going in the Agape Families ministry, that you would push that forward. Uh, These kids that have experienced brokenness are desperate for somebody to show them the truth of Christ and to example it by how they live. Father, we pray that you would add some of our names to that list, that we would participate in what you're already doing in the lives of these kids. You're reaching out after them. Just let us be your hands and feet. And I pray that you would bless uh, this ministry and you would help us as we partner with them to be a gift to them, not a burden. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. Okay, so we have uh, just a tiny problem, folks. It's uh, 10 o'clock and I'm opening my Bible. All right? But I'm not going to quit because we need this this morning, okay? Turn to Genesis chapter 16. I need you to hear this thought. And I did prepare it in the sense that it would be this morning a devotional thought. But I I want us to, to continue to think about what we just heard, what we just saw, and to connect with it in our own lives. God is calling you either to a relationship with Jesus Christ or to consider how that walk that you proclaim that you have is going to be lived out in a world that's desperate to see him. But what's one of the two things? He's either calling you to faith or he's calling you to consider how you're going to walk that out. There is a, uh, a famous painting by, uh, and I'm going to murder this name. That just means that I'm not an art snob, okay? Uh, Jean-Francois Millet. If anyone knows that it's different than that, please don't speak up. (laughs) Millet painted a picture. This is actually, uh, uh, originally it was entitled Prayer for a Good Potato Crop. You see the potato basket that's down there. You see a little church steeple in the back. Um, When the person who commissioned it didn't arrive, he had made some edits to that painting they found out. And he renamed it the Angelus. Uh, For those that are in uh, Catholic communities or you've been to uh, Catholic areas in European countries, they still ring out a chime. It's happened ever since, uh, especially the plagues in those areas. When a a bell would toll at the church, they would pray the Angelus. And it was a prayer for the recently departed. Um, This painting became famous. In fact, it launched so many artists as they they would look at it and have a hard time. But one guy in particular said, whenever I look at this picture, it just creeps me out. His name was Salvador Dali. I don't know if you know that name. He couldn't paint anything near this, all right? His stuff is all gooey and weird looking, all right? But he looked at this and he actually painted many other paintings based on the disruption he felt when he saw this painting. He said, there's something else going on there. I know it is true. And so eventually, I'm not sure where this is housed, but the place where this is housed, he he had assaulted them so often with the idea that there must be something more to this painting. Will you please x-ray it? That they eventually did x-ray this painting. And where that little basket of potatoes is, underneath that is actually an original sketch of a coffin, a little baby. What they found is that layers of veneer have been put over the top of that, so that what you see is a potato. 
uh, basket, and in the background, that church was added also after the fact. What Malay had done is he had hidden a painful scene under a veneer of faith. Hidden a painful scene under a veneer of faith. There are things that you and I do not like to look at. There are things that you and I do not like to be aware of. There are things that we do not want to engage with. And we hide behind a veneer of faith, often hard things. Why is it that you are not spending time with somebody whose family is incarcerated? Why is it that you are not engaged with somebody down the street who you know has just gone through a divorce or has just lost everything in this recent season? Why is it that you say that I cannot engage with this person, that family, that situation, or those scenarios? I just want you to review in your own heart. I'm not asking you to shout out the reason. I'm not asking you to look at your neighbor and blame them. Just in your own heart, what is it that you do? And how often have you said, well, I would do that, but I have Bible study. I got my time in the Word. I have things that I need to focus on. But the Spirit of God has already stirred your heart and said, you go to those people. And we put a veneer of faith over something that's hard to look at. But this is what Scripture tells us. What we find uncomfortable, what we refuse to see, God sees. He sees the broken. He sees those who are in terrifying circumstances, and he meets their need. Now, he would like to use you, but God sees the broken. Amen? Genesis chapter 16, I want you to hear this. This is a story about a woman named Hagar who got caught up with God's people in an unusual way. Abram has been promised that he's going to have a son, that out of him the nations are going to be blessed. You would think he would act righteous at every single moment. This is the first decision he makes after he finds out that God's going to bless him, make him great, and he's the father of faith. Abraham's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Remember that name. Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave and perhaps through her I can build a family. By the way, uh, before you get hung up there, that was a custom in that day. Uh, Thankfully, it's not a custom today. And Abram agreed what Sarah had said. And so Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, a wife for him. And this happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. Read there, he knew better. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when she saw she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. And Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. She looked at him and said, what'd you do? Now, just uh, review uh, verse 2 if you want to remember whose idea this was. My slave is in your arms, and then I saw that she was pregnant. I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarah, Here, your slave is in your power. Do whatever you want with her. And Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. Verse 7, so powerful. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, 
Where have you come from? Where are you going? And she replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring. They will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and you will have a son and you will name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. Get that. No one else is around, just God. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him, and he will settle near all of his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy, literally the God who sees. For she said, in this place, I have actually seen the one who sees me. That's why the well that is there is called Bir Laharoi. It's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Do you believe that's true? Very quickly, I just want you to see three things in here. A, A happy truth, I want you to see a hard truth, and I want you to see a hopeful truth. First, a happy truth. God sees those who are caught in terrible circumstances. God sees those who are caught in terrible circumstances. The very first time that this term, the angel of the Lord, uh, theologians understand this to be an actual uh, appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. 48 times it will come up in the Old Testament. The very first time that the pre-incarnate Christ arrives on the scene, makes himself seen so that somebody knows they've interacted with God. The first time that that happens, it's to appear to someone who is being mistreated by those who know better. Somebody outside, as it were, of the family. Jesus appears, God appears to somebody who really has no right to him. I want you to think about that. None of us do, but this is a great picture. It's not because she was walking a holy trail. It's not because of anything other than God saw her circumstances and met her there. This is a profound thing. Hagar's name uh, in the scripture there, the reason I wanted you to note that is the name that's given to her, Hagar, is actually not an Egyptian name. The name that's here, our best understanding, because it's uh, ancient Hebrew, so we look for derivatives. It's closely related to two terms. The most common one is adequate. Literally, her name is she'll do. She'll do. Can you imagine you're down in Egypt and you're trying to figure out we got a long journey and we're going to come up out of this area? Uh, who is it that we need? I, I need somebody to take care of my needs, Abram. And he goes, okay, who do you want? And she looks out there in the market and she says, She'll do. They're walking along the way and they hear from God, you're gonna be a great nation, you're gonna do all these things. And she says, I'm super old, you're super old. This doesn't seem like it's really possible. What, what if we come up with a plan that everybody else is doing? It's all the rage in all the nations right now. Why don't we have somebody else in your arms and I'll just take the baby. Abram says, well, who were you thinking of? And she looks at her and she goes, she'll do. But then, you're looking for somebody from heaven to say, who is it that I'm going to show what a picture of grace is? How can I arrive on the scene and give theological significance to the name, the angel of the Lord? 
Who is it that I can come down and visit for the very first time in all of the Old Testament Scripture to show a picture of grace and the fact that I meet those who seem unseen, that seem broken beyond repair, that seem like they have no hope whatsoever? Who will be the person that I can show my grace to like that? And you know what God says? She'll do. Hagar, my people have run her out. I'll show them what grace looks like. And this story's gonna walk with them for the rest of their generations. We're still talking about it today. She'll do. Sometimes being seen by God is all it takes. Now, the reason I wanted to make sure that we finish this message this morning is because I've been working with somebody behind the scenes for a long time saying, hey, is it okay to share just a little of your story? My, my mom is somebody who benefited from Christians who loved her like agape families loves other kids. She was born one of eventually 42 children in a polygamous family, a part of a cult. It was a terrifying situation. Not just uh, born into polygamy, born into all of the mess that that is, but she was born into poverty and deprivation and sexual abuse. And she knew all of those things in all of its monstrosity uh, from a young age. First seven, eight years filled with that. One little outfit that she would wear to school, two different shirts that she could put over the top so they could wash one and then the other. A pair of kids that she would get at the beginning of the year, but as her feet grew, her mom just cut the toes out of them so that she wouldn't have to buy new shoes. She can remember the day that my grandfather was put in jail for polygamy. It was a day that she already had been confronted by some other girls at school. They were mocking her because of the cheapness of her homemade clothes. They were mocking her because of the way that she looked and her haircut. They were mocking her on the way home, and then somebody said, hey, isn't your dad a jailbird? And they started taunting her with jailbird, jailbird. She said, I am absolutely convinced under the the threats that I was facing at that time, if I had the social media that was available today, I would have committed suicide. She said, I just pleaded with God. I I didn't know God, she said, but I just looked up to the heavens and said, God, if you're real, would you just kill me? Would you take me home? I don't want to be here. Flash forward just a few years, much of the story untold, but she lands in southern Oregon. My grandpa is now out of jail. He has spread his family up and down the I-5 corridor down there. Uh, He is requiring them now to call him by his first name or say that he's an uncle so that he won't get outed as still a polygamist. Eight wives, 42 to 48 children. Uh, When I went to the last uh, family reunion, there was over 500 wives, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren in attendance. There was, uh, because polygamists tend to run in tribes, there was a man by the name of Bill who had stopped by when my mom was 13 and had said, you've been chosen to be my bride. Picked her up in a car. Her sister, who had already been taken away from the home earlier, is in the back. Her new baby, she's 16 years old, is in her arms. They go camping, and he utters a prayer over her saying, I'm coming back for you, but you're going to be my fifth or sixth wife. 13 years old. 
She didn't know what was going on. She just knew that her sister was weeping as she heard the news, shocked as she was that this is what was happening. And they would send her little letters, and on those letters with um, lemon juice, they would write secret messages to her. Her mom now knew that, who was trying to get out of all of that, that something was going on, but didn't know how to catch them. And she would iron those letters and get their secret messages. And they told her when they were coming for her. And at that moment, my mom had just encountered a new group of people. Some Christians at her school, age 13, 14, junior high age, had invited her to go to camp. She'd gone and heard the gospel. She said, I I was in no place to respond to Jesus. I was coming out of all kinds of craziness. Everything around me was new, but they had something I didn't. And I went over to some of their homes, and I began to engage with their families, and I saw a mom and a dad who only had each other, who loved each other, and spoke to each other kindly. And she said, I don't know what it is that has caused them to be that way, but that's what I want. And so when this man Bill comes for her, she goes outside and she says, God, if you're up there, if, if this means I'm choosing hell because I won't accept this life, then I choose it. I just want to have a husband that loves me. I want my children to be able to call him by his name. And I want to feel safe. She ran and hid. She escaped polygamy. And she says in her mind, the reason that she was allowed to escape was she had seen hope in the lives of Christians. 20 years later, God had given her a husband, God had given her children, but she did not yet have peace. Somebody came and offered her faith, and she said she yielded to Jesus Christ knowing that he had been hounding her ever since that prayer. She gave her life to Christ, and our entire family is different. But her, start, her story starts with somebody being kind enough to invite an odd, abused, overwhelmed girl to camp. So, for some of you who have done that, thank you. And for the rest of you who are on the fence, pray and go. It makes a difference. Gosh, I said that was a happy truth. (laughs) Here's the hard truth. The hard truth is, though God saves us in our circumstances and walks us through our circumstances, he only rarely saves us from our circumstances. We can't go into this in detail. I just want you to notice that he says, go back to your mistress, and submit. One of the toughest phrases in verse 9. She doesn't get to leave her circumstances. She has to go back. All I can say to you about this, uh, there was a a story, and it's been repeated by many folks, but uh, James Dobson remembers when he was a kid, his dad talking to him about the sovereignty of God, and he was looking at a hamster that his mom and dad had bought for him, and he was at the edge of the cage, this little hamster in a plastic cage, gnawing his brains out, trying to escape his cube, right? He's stuck in this little cubicle, and he cannot understand, why do I have to stay stuck in this little tiny box? It stinks, and my only fellowship is me. Little hamster, and he's gnawing away and gnawing away and gnawing away, and his father looks at him, and he says, James, I want you to watch that hamster. 
He says, why do we have him in that box? And he says, look just below the box. And there is the family dog wagging, hoping that the hamster will be successful. (laughs) You get outside the box and the wolf is going to get you. Can I ask you something, believer? Can you just accept that God is sovereign even in hard circumstances? And we may not always know why. And we can't walk out another person's story. And I can't even tell you the significance of your story. But I know that God can, that he will, and he's capable. And he is in control. He's not let go of you. But being saved out of the circumstances is not the promise. Being saved while in them is. And he has a story for you. That's a hard truth. But here's a hopeful truth. The hopeful truth is that the story of our salvation will cause others to seek and celebrate God. There is something that uh, is intriguing that happens in Genesis 24, 62. Just write that verse down. We don't have time to go there. I might accidentally begin to exegete. Uh, But I want you to see what happens there. This is his brother, his half-brother. His half-brother has just seen his mom die. There's a a change that's happening in his life. And he is wanting something significant to happen. So while he is waiting, a man has been sent to go find him a wife. While he is waiting for all of these promises that God has made for his family to come true, he begins to investigate his life. This is the implication of the passage. And so where is Isaac at that time? He has gone to a place, verse 62 says, called Beer Laha Roy, the place where his half-brother traces his faith, the place where his half-brother's mother encountered God, the place where they said all of their mission for life and all of their direction comes from this moment where the God who sees allowed himself to be seen by them, and he wants to be seen. The story of their hardship and their relationship with God began to speak to other people who had it all. There are some of you also who have a story. Some of you in the room have an amazing story. And you say, how can this hardship ever be worth anything? But there are believers in here who look to your story and their faith is stirred because of what God has allowed you to walk through, but also what he has done in you. Your grace that you have experienced has ministered to them. I would say this to you. Throughout history, great stories often involve great hardship. I just want you to review the stories. If any of you are readers, and if you're not, shame on you, okay? But if you're readers, you choose a story, what are you looking for? consistently, if I were to actually ask you a series of questions, you might be any kind of reader of any kind of genre, but in there you want some kind of conflict, hardship, and shocking resolution that causes you to keep turning the pages. We all say we want to live a great story. You want to know what is a key ingredient in a great story? Hardship that only God can fix. I'm not going to say may God give you a great story. But I'm going to say, may you cling to him while he allows you to live whatever story he is sovereignly appointed. Cling to him. I would just have you note this as we wrap up. This story was written to highlight the grace of God and to stir those who know better to act better. 
Abram should have never allowed this to happen. The family of God should have never have allowed this to happen under their roof. But they did. It's written so that we would see a God who sees and allows himself to be seen, but also to stir the family of God. Don't let that story be written in ours again. Don't let that happen underneath our roof. Those who know better ought to act better. Amen? Two goals this morning. One, I wanted to remind you of the glory and the grace of God. If you are here today and you just came to witness a baptism, you just came to hear some music, you came because a friend invited you, and you don't know Jesus Christ, today don't leave without giving your life to him. I'm going to stay up front here, and if you want to know uh, about Christ, I'm just going to ask you to come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll tell you how you can know uh, Jesus Christ. The scripture says all you have to do is believe. We'll help you with that belief. But secondly, the second goal this morning is to remind some of you that God is calling you not just to be seen, but he's calling you to also see. Don't put a veneer of religion over things that are hard for you to swallow. Go to those that God is calling you, who's laid on your heart, people that you run into. Go to them and tell them the good news of a risen Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this morning and a morning that has been just peppered with so many pictures of victory, pictures of you overcoming. We, we give you praise for that. We give you praise for the baptisms. We give you praise for the stories that we see coming out of Camp Agape. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be a part of stories like that, not because we want to be glorified, but we want you to be glorified. Father, fill us up, cause us to become servants, to set aside our safety and all the things that we cling to and see those that are hurting as you see them. You see them and you're sending us to make a difference. Father, I pray that you would help us to engage, to give our lives to you and then to others. Father, I pray that that would be the story that fills this place week after week, year after year. We would celebrate the God who not only saw us, but uses us to see and minister to a broken world. Help us to join in, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.